the man God uses. And the Lord willing, tonight, we want to speak on the subject, why do men go away from God? Why do men go away from God? It is unthinkable that we've been called to a great banquet that we spoke about last Sunday. A certain man made a great supper, and at supper time bade many to come, sent his servants out and said, Come, for all things are now ready. And people began to make excuse. Tonight I want to speak on the subject, why do men go away from God? There are two groups of people that go away from God. Number one, those who come right up and taste and sense the moving, tugging power of God at their hearts and they turn away and go away from God. Spend the rest of their lives in the shallows and spend eternity separated from God. And then there are others who come up and trust Christ and believe upon Him and give Him their hearts. And then some tough things come and they turn and go away from God. I want to talk about that tonight. I hope you will not miss that. But this morning, the man God uses. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now let's pray just before we study the Word of God. Our Father, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. We thank you for the great Southern Baptist Convention that was held in San Antonio this past week. We're grateful for the great people called Baptists. And we pray for our fellow Christians across this city and around the world. Our hearts go out in sympathy and love to that family coming back from the convention who had the fatal accident in Mississippi and that preacher and his family taken out suddenly from this world. We are just grateful for the safety of giving many others. Now, Father, open the word to us. And may the Holy Spirit do his work of conviction. We confess to thee our need. We know that in our own persuasiveness, nothing can be accomplished. But may the Holy Spirit take the word and honor it and carry it forth to hearts. And may there be changed lives today. In Jesus' dear name, amen. <clears throat> I'm reading from Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in its broad places if you can find a man, if there be any that executeth justice, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon her. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, art not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correct correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the law of their God. I will go to the great men, and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord, and the law of their God, but these have altogether broken the yoke, and burst the bonds. Now I want you to notice verse 1. Go through the streets of Jerusalem, and find a man. Anybody 
that will meet God's qualifications. And God says, I will use him. Today is Father's Day. William A. Smart was a Civil War veteran. He raised his motherless pioneer family on the promises of his own parents and their love and training to him. The first Sunday of June, 1910, was his birthday. He died in 1919. A grateful daughter named Mrs. Dodd, grateful for her beloved father, conceived the idea of a special day to recognize the value and respect we should have toward all our fathers. She urged all the pastors of Spokane, Washington to honor the fathers on that day. They could not get their sermons together until the third Sunday, and thus the third Sunday of June became the first day designated as Father's Day, and it has continued ever since. Today, Father's Day is observed in over, four, over 60 countries of the world. President Woodrow Wilson gave Father's Day its first official recognition in 1916. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge urged the observance of Father's Day all over the nation and into the possessions and territories of America. On April 24, 1972, President Richard Nixon issued the first resolution, the first presidential resolution or proclamation of Father's Day. Mrs. Dodd died at the age of 96, March the 22nd, 1978, leaving behind her a world that has set aside a special day to honor our fathers. And so we salute you today, men, and we respect you and love you. I wonder how many in this room today have a father who has already gone. He is not here in the earth any longer, and you honor and respect him. Would you stand in his honor today? Let's again pray. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, all of these standing in the room today, and every one of us assembled here in this auditorium and by radio, would thank you for giving us that earthly treasure and example, our Father. We thank thee for those who have already gone and are now with the Lord. And we honor their memories and stand in their honor today. And with emotion, we remember the little things they taught us when we were just boys and girls. We treasure the dear, wonderful memories of years gone by. And we challenge today our own hearts to be what you want us to be as men and women for God. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. <clears throat> Sidlow Baxter, a man mightily used of God in Australia, Canada, England, and the United States, wrote a book called Mark These Men. He mentions 13 men and how God used these men. Here are the men. The man who defied Baal 
Elijah. The man who bore the brands, the Apostle Paul, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The man who left his mark on poetry, David. The man who routed the aliens, Gideon. The man who helped carry the cross, Simon a Cyrenian. The man who rebuilt Jerusalem, Nehemiah. The man who instructed the Apostle Paul, Ananias. Now as we think of these men, I want us to think this morning of their qualifications and just a, just a word about them. And then I want to call your attention to Ananias, that unusual man that was used so by God. The man that God uses has three qualifications. Now I could give you the qualifications of many others. For example, I, the other morning I spoke to you about something similar to this subject. Now I mentioned how R.A. Torrey had written a book called Why God Used D.L. Moody. And he gave seven reasons. He said, first of all, D.L. Moody was a fully surrendered man. Secondly, he was a man of prayer. Thirdly, he was a deep, practical student of the Bible. Fourthly, he was a humble man. Fifthly, his, he was entirely free from the love of money. Sixthly, he had a consuming passion for the salvation of the lost. And seventhly, he had an endowment with the power of God's Holy Spirit. And those were the reasons God used D.L. Moody, as R.A. Torrey saw it. And D.L. Moody was used by God to win a million people to Jesus Christ. And he is remembered today not for the buildings that were built in his honor, though there were some, not for the monuments, but for the lives that he touched. And it would be difficult to go anywhere in this world today and not find somebody who, though nearly a hundred years after the life of D.L. Moody, still bears the impression and the influence of that dear man. <coughs> the man who won me to Jesus heard D.L. Moody speak in Louisville at the old Warren Memorial Presbyterian Church. Mr. Moody challenged all those young preachers who were students at the seminary then to determine in their hearts to speak to at least one person about Jesus every day. And on a certain day in 1939, that preacher who had heard Moody speak had me laid on his heart and came and talked to me about Jesus. And I think God has used a chain reaction like that down through the years. But I want to give you just three characteristics of a man that God can use, and anyone here can meet those three characteristics if you want to. There's not one person <clears throat> within the sound of my voice today who could not meet these characteristics. Number one, an ordinary man with an extraordinary commitment. An ordinary man with an extraordinary commitment. There are lots of people who say, well, God could never use me because I can't sing like Brother Bob or I can't play the instrument like somebody else can do or I'm not a physician like Dr. Kemp or I'm not a this or that or the other. Uh, and we say, well, there are lots of things that I can't do. But I want to tell you, God can take anybody. 
One of these young boys over here in this side of the room, one of these young girls over here who would be willing to say, Lord, I'm just an ordinary boy, an ordinary girl. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I did not come from a, an influential family, but I want to give you all I am. And anybody, anybody that is willing to be God's somebody, God can use. An ordinary man with an extraordinary commitment. Number two, a humble man with an earnest obedience. A humble man with an earnest obedience. Now God cannot take somebody who knows how to do everything. Have you ever met somebody that you try to tell them some experience you've had and they say, well, that's nothing. Listen to what happened to me. And they start talking, talk, yak, yak, yak. And you tell them something else. And say, well, I did something like that 10 years ago. Now, what do you mean? You're, there's nothing about that. And, and after a while, you just give up and say, well, I guess that guy's done it all. Now, God can't use somebody like that. There has to be a spirit of humility that permits somebody else to excel. One of, the, one of the marks of greatness in some of the presidents we've had in the United States has not been just their strength and ability, but their willingness to gather around them some people with some characteristics of excellence that could feed good counsel, and the president receives that counsel, and usually we say, well, the president did this, or the president did that, but really what happened is he surrounded himself with some men and women who could give him good counsel, and he accepted their counsel, and great things were accomplished, not because he dreamed them all up, but other people did. And he has to have the spirit of humility to receive from others. And God can use anybody to do that. Thirdly, a spirit-filled man with a total sellout. Now, I'm going to go back and speak about these for just a moment or two. Number one, an ordinary man with an extraordinary commitment. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. And let's look at this unusual verse a moment. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias... Now, we don't know his daddy's name. We don't know his mother's name. We don't even know where he came from. Maybe he came from Damascus. Maybe he didn't. We don't know anything about his schooling. We don't know anything about him, except he said, this says he was a certain disciple, and God spoke to him. Now, God does not trust his secrets with people who will not listen. You want God to whisper some secrets in your heart? You want God to be able to use you to talk to other people? You have to spend some time with him so you can hear from him. So you can hear what he's saying. How many of you, don't lift your hands, but how many of you know what I mean? You have spent some time alone with God just telling him how much you love him. You've read his word. You've sung praises to him. You've been with him. And he knows you love him. Dr. Robert G. Lee used to say, Jesus is first in my life, and he knows it. That's something. Does the Lord God know that he is first in our lives? Well, Ananias was the kind of man that God could speak to. 
And this scripture says, God said something to Ananias in a vision. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. He has seen a vision. A man named Ananias is coming, putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered the Lord, I have heard of many of this man, how much evil he hath done to the saints of Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority of the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go thy way. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and did what God said to do. Now here was a man that we don't know anything about at all. You look up every reference you can find to Ananias, and there won't be very many. You don't know anything about his background. Matter of fact, you don't even know about his graphic conversion experience. In a little while, we're going to read about, we, we've read about Saul, how he got saved, and he sh a great light shone down from heaven. But nothing like that happened to Ananias. He was just an ordinary man, but with an extraordinary commission and commitment. I wonder if you have ever thought of yourself as just an ordinary person. I've talked to some people through the years and, and said, now God can really use you. And they said, well, God can't use me. I don't have anything to give him. Oh, yes. If you just give him you. Man. If you give him what you have. God said one day to the prophet, what is that in thine hand? What do you have that you can give God? Would you give it to him? And let him use you. Let him have you. God is not looking for some great, brilliant genius. Now, he can use them. And I'm thankful for some geniuses that I've known who had given their lives to the Lord, and God did great miracles with them. I think of some of the men we met at the convention. I think of Dr. Adrian Rogers. I love to hear him preach. Great, great preacher of the Word. He is an extraordinary man with an extraordinary commitment. But I would say that most of the preachers that God calls are not that eloquent. All of us know of Savanarola, the great silver-tongued orator. But most of the men that God uses are not that kind of men. All of us have heard of Einstein. But wouldn't have Einstein have had a tough time if he had been the only scientist out there in the field, the only one and nobody else was available to put any formulas together. He did a great job, but he didn't do it by himself. We know about him because of his brilliance and his genius. But God will use anybody who will give to him what, what he has. And so Ananias gave to God what he had. He was a certain disciple. He was neither an apostle nor a great preacher. He was not a leader. He was an ordinary man. A devout man, Acts twenty two twelve calls him morally with moral courage and he lived according to the law he had a good report of all the Jews that dwelt there his character was alive and above reproach he had a willingness God said go he said I'll go I'll do what you tell me to do and you know what God used Ananias to do God used Ananias to give Saul the great commission to tell him how great things he must suffer for Jesus sake and then he baptized Saul. <laughs> you imagine having the joy of being the one that was used by God to give Saul of Tarsus the commission.
to tell him what God wanted him to do. And then to say, Saul, there's one thing you need to do before you can get busy for God. You need to be baptized. You've already been saved, but you need to be baptized. You imagine Ananias telling Saul what to do? Saul, who later became Paul, who went all over the Greek or Roman world leading men and women to Jesus Christ. He wrote so many books in the Bible. Thirteen of the epistles and the books of the Bible were written by Paul. How many were written by Ananias? Not one. But Ananias was an ordinary man with an extraordinary commitment who said, God, here's what I have. I want you to use me. And I want to tell you, God can use anybody who will do that. Anybody in this room? I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm just not a soul winner. I don't have that gift. Soul winning isn't a gift. It's hard work. It's blood, sweat, and tears. It's overcoming, as somebody put it, those butterflies in your stomach. It is overcoming that timidity. It is saying, God said to do it. I'm going to do it. Just because God said so. And anybody can do that. In the early church, they, God said, call out seven men who can help meet a problem. This was the origin of the deacons. And they called out these seven men that nobody ever heard of before. Stephen was one of them. Philip was one of them. Prochorus was one of them. Nicanor and so on. And these were men that God wanted to use. And the challenge was given. And they said, here am I. Send me. Use me. Ordinary men with an extraordinary gift. Extraordinary, rather, an extraordinary commitment. Now, secondly, I want you to notice a humble man with an earnest obedience to the will of God. Turn your Bible to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Verses 14 and 15. This is the call of Gideon. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midians as one man. Now Gideon was a man who said, Lord, I just don't have much to give you. God said, Will you give me what you have? I don't have much, Lord. Will you give me what you have? Yes, Lord, I'll do that. And the Lord said, Surely you will smite the Midians, Midianites. And God used Gideon. We don't even know where he came from. Don't know much about him. But he was an ordinary man with an extraordinary commitment. And he had a willingness and a humility to do what God said to do. He wasn't the kind of person that told everybody what to do. He was the kind of person that said, Lord, I have to have your help to do anything. And then I need everybody else's help. Let's work together at it. Let's do it. Last of all, I want you to think of a spirit-filled man with a total sellout. A spirit-filled man with a total sellout. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. This is the origin of the first deacons. And the apostles said when that murmuring and problem came in the church, they said, brethren, look out among you seven men who meet these qualifications. Number one, honest report. Number two, full of the Holy Spirit. Number three, wisdom. Number four, whom we may appoint over this business. 
But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen. He was at the top of the list. Jim Elliot wrote to his mother shortly before he died at the hands of the Orcas Indians and he said, Dear Mother, I do not mean to sound pedantic as if I knew everything, but Mother, we have joined the one who spoke of the short-lived life. He spoke of a cross. He spoke of dying. And he said, Mother, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In just a few days, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries flew their plane out over the AUKUS country and landed on a beachhead. Their main purpose was to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to those AUKUS Indians. And the AUKUS Indians came and ambushed them, hiding behind trees as the missionaries got off with gifts to give to those AUKUS Indians. They were ambushed and every one of them was killed. The wives of those missionaries kept at their post. They didn't get bitter. They didn't run away. They kept at their post. And one day, one of the AUKUS Indians, Dayuma, ran away from her place in the, in the AUKUS territory and was met by one of the missionary wives. She was treated kindly and graciously and gently. And after a while, Dayuma, Gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Amen. Dayuma went back into her mission, into her AUKUS Indian territory, told them about Jesus, came back out and got one of the missionary wives and took her with them. And did you know that today the AUKUS Indians know the Lord? Amen. Why? <clears throat> because Jim Elliot dared to say, Mama, the Lord has called us to serve him and I've asked God for the spirit of the great short-lived one. I think that, that's what characterized Stephen. Stephen didn't say, well Lord I've got to live to be a hundred. That's good to live to be a hundred. Thank God for Miss Bertha Smith, one of the great missionaries of all time, missionary in China for many years. Great, great missionary for God. She died and her funeral was last week, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. She was aged a hundred. But Stephen didn't say, Lord, I've got to be like Bertha Smith. I've got to live to be a hundred. He said, Lord, my life is given to you. I want you to use me. He was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, who was available to be appointed over the business of the Lord. And God took him seriously and God began to use him. And if you'll read here, Beginning in verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose some opposition, and Stephen gave his testimony on the street corner. And when he began to talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, all those Jews took their coats off, and they laid them down at the feet of a young man named Saul of Tarsus. And they began to pick up stones and hurl stones at Stephen. And while Stephen was dying, he looked steadfastly into the face of God and he said, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Dear ladies and gentlemen, when the Lord Jesus went back to the glory of the Father, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. 
but in honor of the first deacon, the first man, ordinary man with an extraordinary commitment who said, Lord, I want to be used by God. And while Stephen was dying on the earth for the faith of the Lord Jesus, Jesus stood in heaven in his honor. You want to be used by God? Just say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. No matter what age you are. So many times our lives are characterized by stinginess. We give God the leftovers. We give God the pennies or the nickels or the dimes. We give God Sunday morning, never coming back on Sunday night or Wednesday, never going soul winning, never involving ourselves in the other work of the Lord. We're stingy, we're skin flints in our attitudes toward the Lord. God wants us to give him all. He's not looking for somebody with great ability, though he will take you if you'll give yourself to him. He's looking for somebody with great availability. Availability. Are you available to him today? If you are, God will use you. The man God will use, an ordinary man with an extraordinary commitment, a humble man with an earnest obedience, a spirit-filled man with a total sellout to Jesus Christ. Would you like to be that kind of person? God will use you if you will, if you will be. There's somebody right over here God wants to use. He's walking right along those aisles right there and he's putting his hand on somebody's heart. He says, I want to use you. But see, he doesn't draft you. You have to volunteer. In the king's army, there are no draftees. God doesn't knock you out and lasso you and pull you in. He just knocks gently at your door. And the first step to the Lord is a personal repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in which you say, Lord, I need you. I trust you. I want Christ in my heart as my personal Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the grave. He's a living Savior, and I want him in my heart. And the moment you open your heart, he'll come in. Amen. Invite him in. Ask him to come in. I go to people's houses, I knock on their door, and I say, my name is Richard Oldham, and I've come to talk to you about Jesus. Could I come in a minute? Now immediately, I don't know whether they're interested or not. Some of them say, no, I don't have time today. Okay. I don't force myself in. I say, all right. Many of them say, yes, please come in. And I go in and talk to them. And many of those that say, come in, give their hearts to Christ. Now Jesus is knocking at your door. What are you going to tell him? He says, I want to come into your life. I love you. I died for you. I want to live inside of you. Well, you open your door and say, come in, Lord Jesus, I need you. If you will, you'll come in. And then some of you have already been saved. You've given your hearts to Christ. And Jesus still knocks. I've had people walk down the aisle five or six or 10 or 15 or 25 times and they say, uh, you know, it's strange. I don't know why I've come. The Lord spoke to me and I've already been saved and I'm not sure what he wants. Do you know that Bill Ricketts, who is being used greatly by God, he is pastor of the great uh, Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia, one of the leading churches in Georgia. He walked down the aisle at least 25 times Amen. in those early years of his teen life. And some people nudge somebody and say, look, there he goes again. Ronnie Hicks did the same thing. Steve Plale did that. On and on I could go. People that God is using, they didn't know what God was saying. They couldn't quite figure it out. They knew that they were saved, that God kept tugging at their hearts and saying, I have something for you. 
and they just come and say, whatever God's trying to say, I want it. And when you have a humble spirit like that, God will speak to you. You can't possibly miss the will of God. But it's when you get hard-hearted and you say, well, I've already done that once. I'm not going to go anymore. God will pass you by. But if you're willing to say, the Lord has dealt with my heart. I don't know what he's trying to say. I don't quite understand it. And you come and say, here, my Lord, use me, break me, make me, mold me. God will use you. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. You have been so kind and patient and faithful in listening today. And now, Jesus wants you to respond. There's somebody here that God is tugging at. He wants you. He is calling at your heart. Would you let him have his way today? Our Father... I want to thank you for these dear, precious people here and by radio who have listened. We pray that just now the Spirit of God would tug at their hearts and somebody would say, Lord, here am I. Use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. We're singing hymn number 242. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. The invitation will not last a long time, but I want to ask you, if you're willing to give your life to Jesus Christ, trust Him as your personal Savior and Lord, you need to come today. Some of you have already been saved, maybe a long time ago, maybe just a short time ago. You've given your heart to Christ, but you have not publicly confessed Him. You have never followed Him in believer's baptism. You need to come today. God help you to do it. Some of you have membership in another church and God wants you at Glendale. While we begin to sing, who would step out for the King, Christ Jesus? Will you do it now? While we pray, while we sing. And if you're here today and you're planning to be baptized, I want to ask you to come also and we'll be prepared for the baptism in just a moment. While we sing, Jesus, I come. Brother Mark leads us. Will you come?